0: So what we, what we heard earlier out of James um, is just James making commentary on this chapter. And so um, he's, he's essentially, wh- what we read out of James is essentially the same message of what we're going to read here. And so the first reason is when we read Ecclesiastes, it's a hard book to read. It's a hard book to, to take in because we read it and we just like, I mean, there there have been people over throughout Christian history and biblical history who have written off the book of Ecclesiastes completely, thinking that Solomon at the end of his life just denied God and became, you know, a pessimist and, you know, fatalist or whatever. And, and so they like don't even think that he was a, a follower of God anymore based off of what they read. Because this is a hard book to understand. It's a hard book to read. It's a hard book to take in. And he's not the only one who says these things, right? James tells us the exact same stuff that Solomon um, tells us here. Um, and the second reason is just I didn't want to shoulder the burden of having to read, because we're going to do the whole chapter. So I figured I, I can take that on. It's a, it's a lot to read, and so I thought um, I would be the one to do that. Uh, so this morning, as we, as we read this chapter and as we go through it, there's one question that I want you to have at the forefront of your mind and to continually ask yourself. As we read these things, as we read some of the hard statements, I think Solomon um, would want us to ask ourselves one major fundamental question. And that is, are you trusting in God versus are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in your own knowledge, your own wisdom, your own understanding, your own perception of the world? Or are you trusting in God and in his wisdom? Um, And that really, I mean, the book of Ecclesiastes, like that's kind of a a major theme. And it's definitely a major theme um, in chapter nine. So let's read chapter nine together. He says, but all of this I laid to heart examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he uh, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. this is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in them uh, <coughs> sorry, and madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. So go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no, <clears throat> uh, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Okay, so even though there are still four chapters left in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is sort of bringing it back around, right? He is going to start making some summary statements. He is going to kind of try and and get away from... The specifics and give us some more bigger picture stuff right so this is what we see right at the very beginning i laid this all uh, but all of this i laid to heart examining it all right he's kind of this all the stuff he's been telling us solomon is saying look we're going to start looking at this in a big picture kind of way and he's going to remind us of something that we talked about last week that we've talked about multiple times over the last c- couple of months and that is the righteous and the wise are in the hand of god And then he asks this question what is to come for that man? So the right that's who he's talking about, the righteous, the wise man, we are in the hands of God. And then he says, What is going to befall him? And the answer is he doesn't know. Could be love, could be hate. Something good, something bad, an ease or a hardship. Because Solomon tells us over and over and over again that being righteous and being wise and even being in God's hand does not exclude us from the hard things that happen in this world and in this life. God doesn't promise us when we become Christians, oh, like now you're in the fold, you're in this bubble, and all the people outside of it, that's who, that's who the people who are going to get cancer, and that's the people who are going to die tragically, and that's the people who are going to lose their loved ones, but you guys, we're safe, right? We're in our bubble, nothing bad is going to happen to you. That's not the message of the Bible. It's the opposite message of the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Solomon has lived his entire life and he's come to the end of it and he said the righteous man and the wise man suffered just like the evil sinner. Solomon communicates this to us over and over and over again. And we're not going to push past it, right? Because we need to hear it over and over and over again. Why? Because what is the world teaches us the opposite, right? How many times this week, and maybe you, you probably are not even recognizing it. You're not even seeing it because it's like it's happening everywhere, Almost every advertisement you see is the world saying, "Look, you deserve to not have hardship. Let me sell you this thing that will remove a hardship from your life that will make your life easier, not just because well, it will make your life easier, but you deserve it right You, you should go home if you If you still watch TV and there's commercials a part of that, think about and, and notice how many times a commercial Is trying to sell you on the fact that you deserve something. How many times they use that word specifically? The world is trying to tell us all day, every day, that we deserve something better than the hardship that's in front of us. And the Bible is saying, no, you don't. The Bible is saying that God set that path before you because struggling is a good thing. And even the wise and the righteous who are in God's hand are still going to suffer. They're still going to have to endure hardships in this world. So you may be sick of hearing it, but I think it was like one of the first weeks that I got to preach, and this it's just stuck with me. When we looked in Exodus, and Moses is telling the Israelites, put it on your door and put it on your gate. That's how often we need to hear it, right? You go from your front gate to your front door, and we forget between those 15, 20, 30 steps, whatever it is, that's how often we need to be reminded of what is true. Because the thing is, the lie is being told to you at least that often. If we're going to allow this truth to sink in, to shape the way that we think, to re, to, to reshape the way that we think, right? So that, that we can align our thoughts and our will and our understanding with God's, we have to hear it over, and at least as often as we hear the lie, right? If we're going to fight back against that, we need to hear this over and over and over again. So he says, we don't know what befalls him, whether it's going to be love or whether it's going to be hate. In fact, he says, both are before you. So the one thing we do know is that they're both coming, right? Even for the righteous man, there will be somebody who will bring hate and anger and hardship to your door. There's another thing that we know. And that is that death comes for us all. So Solomon once again reminds us of this unhappy truth, right? That death is in our life and that this is a reality. This comes for the righteous and for the wicked. It comes for the good and the evil and the clean and the unclean and the man who sacrifices and the one who doesn't. You are going to die no matter how good you try to be. No matter how well you take care of yourself. One of my favorite shows, you know, of the past probably 10 or 15 years was Parks and Rec. And they they introduced this character kind of early on, played by Rob Lowe, right, if you've watched the show. This guy is like the epitome of health. He's like no body fat. He runs like 15 miles a day. And sort of one of the first things he says to us as he introduced himself is he says, you know, scientists believe that the first man to live that's going to live to be 150 years has been born. And he says, I believe that I am that man. And even if he were, like, even if you could live that long, you're still going to die. It's unavoidable. It's one of those things that is coming for all of us. And Solomon tells us yet again, live your life remembering that that is true. Don't say, oh, I don't want to think about that. That makes me sad. That makes me depressed. I'm going to push that to the back of my mind and not. He tells us, look, live your life in light of this fact. Now, he doesn't just blow past it. He doesn't say you're going to die. Get over it. Deal with it. But he engages with this idea, right? He, he tells us in verse three, this is the thing that he's talking about, right? In verse three. When he says that there is, this is an evil that that all um, this is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. That's what he's talking about. Everybody is going to die, and it's an evil, and we don't like it. And God calls it evil, right? And he tells us that like, this is a product of our sin. It's also important to remember. That he's talking about his perspective of being under the sun, right? He's talking about what we experience here on earth. The fact that we look at death and we say, Man, it seems really unfair that a 7 or 8 year old child might die of cancer. But a criminal or murderer might live to be 90 years old. So not only is death evil, but even the way in which it comes. And how it comes. We look at that and we are tempted to just say, the manner in which it comes, and the timing in which it comes, we can even call, or we like to think, or we want to call that evil. You might have read about this. Um, so, being at the hospital, this—you know—that's where I work. That's my main sort uh, thing that I do as a chaplain. Um, I just inter- interact and encounter. Like death on all sort of levels and just um, and you may have read about this but it was like back I think right around when school started these two young girls 18 and 19 years old their sisters went to Fort Lewis and they both died Um, and so they they, they came into the hospital and we were you know the chaplains we were a part of like ministering to their families and it was it was just a horrific thing and so one of the girls, you know, she passed away before they ever got to the hospital, and then her sister was in the ICU for like 10 or 12 days. And as you can probably imagine, the staff at the hospital watching this, this 19-year-old girl dying were just saying, oh, it's so unfair, oh, it's so tragic. Because she's so young, and she's, she's in the prime of her life, and she has her whole life ahead of her. And they didn't say it in the terms that Solomon does, right? They didn't. They, nobody ever came out and said, this is evil. This thing that is happening is evil. But that's the message that was being communicated. And it's true, right? Death is evil, but the manner and the timing in which it happens doesn't make it more or less evil. Because here's the idea, when we hear about young young, young people like that who die, we just think, oh, unfair. That's a word that gets thrown around a lot. But Solomon tells us that, in fact, it's, it's not unfair. Right? This is what he says in verse 4. Every man's heart is full of evil. Our minds are full of evil. This is what we deserve because of our sin. When, when we disobey the holy God, in his heaven, we deserve to die for that. We deserve to be separated from him forever. But thank God he has made a way for us to not have to endure that. He's given us Jesus, right? He has made a bridge between our sinfulness and his holiness that we could never do for ourselves. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He guides us so that, so that this world is not as evil as it could be, because we are able to fight back against the evil that is in the hearts of Solomon that he is talking about, against the hearts of everyone around us, against the hearts of the 18 and 19-year-old who died, who everybody looked at and said, this is unfair. It's not unfair. This is what we all deserve. We all deserve to die. But thank God that he has given us a way around that. Not necessarily our physical death, but right a way that we would be Saved from separation from him. And so we think about all of these things. And we recognize that our perspective on death, it's limited, right? It's limited at best because we are under the sun. We are living here. We are on this earth. We have very limited understanding. We have very limited perspective about what is going on around us. And we just don't understand all of the things that our creator does. Solomon tells us there's this idea, right? It's better to be alive because there is a day of opportunity. There is a day of hope. And then he contrasts that with the fact that death means that everything is gone. Your love, not only the good things, but your love and also your hate and also your envy. And not only gone, but what does he say? Completely forgotten. And so this makes us wonder... What's what is the point exactly? God, why did you create us to come live on this earth? If everybody is suffering the same fate, whether I'm righteous or unrighteous, they, I mean, and in fact, we see the unrighteous. It seems like they their lives seem to be better than ours. Like what exactly was the point, God, of creating us under these constraints under the sun? Why are we living in this world that makes no sense to us? It seems that the the unrighteous are being rewarded, and then we're going to die, and everybody's going to forget us. Like, what, what exactly is the point? Why did you do this? Why should we put forth any effort? God looks at us, and rightfully he could say, you know what? I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to give you any kind of answer I'm not going to help you he can look at us and say you don't deserve for me to explain myself right you don't deserve for me to help you in any way because we're the created and he is the creator and he can do whatever he wants but in God's kindness and in his grace what does he do He sends Jesus to earth. Can I just read to you this quote? It's it's from one of the books that that has really helped me as I've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is what he says. God comes to us in Jesus, and he says this. Trust me. Walk with me. Love me. Put your hand in my hand and believe my word. Stop trying to understand everything, to be in control of everything, to tie up the loose ends, to have a perfect peace and wealth and health and happiness. Stop striving for all of those things because life does not always make sense. So instead of all of that, trust me instead. See, instead of God necessarily writing us more to try and explain this. He just manifests in our presence, on this world, and says, you know what, I'm not, I didn't come to explain all of your questions, right? I didn't come to answer every question you've ever had about why this and why that, and why did this person die, and why did they die this way, and why, why did they die when they died? He just said, look, I am the God of the universe, and I will lead you, and I will guide you. Will you trust me? Will you let me lead you? That's the message of God. He's not answering all of our questions. He's just saying, I love you. I created you. I sent my son to die for you. I gave up the the greatest thing in the world. Why wouldn't you trust me with the rest? And this is the challenge, I think, that Solomon gets to, and I think that this is the challenge that we have, is that we have to stop trying to figure it all out. And we need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to trust that God knows what He is doing. Now, I think one thing, to, one last thing to say about our death is really important is, is once again just that we bring it upon ourselves. So oftentimes, in that situation where these young, these young girls died. People want to oftentimes blame God and, and and put the evil on him as if once again we as human beings don't deserve it. This is another quote. This was from Spurgeon. This is great. He says, We die because God has placed a limit on creatures who desire to be God. That's us, right? We want, we, we want all of the control. We want all of the knowledge and all of the understanding that God has. Sometimes we get so bold as to demand it from him. And God is saying, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to understand. And so he has put a limit on us. You see, even with Christ as our Savior, we're going to die, right? Our heart will stop beating. We will take that last breath. And when we have our faith in Jesus, that's not necessarily a scary thing. In fact, that should be before our eyes all of the time. Because here's the thing. All of the stuff that God has given you, all the things that he has blessed you with, and then told you, look, be, it, be open-handed with those things, right? Give until your hand is empty. If, if your hope and your faith is in your savings account, if you think that's the thing that's protecting you in this world, you'll never give it away. You'll hold on to it as tightly as you can for as long as you can. But if you're hoping in Jesus, every time someone comes to you, I've got an unpaid bill. I've got a this. That's great. The Lord blessed me with all this money sitting over here. Like, here it is. Here you go. Take some of this. Have some of this. If we know and we remember every single day we wake up saying, I'm going to die today. And it may even be today. You're not going to want to hold on so tightly to all of those things that you have, right? It makes it so much easier to just let go of all of that. I think this enables us to do what we see in verse 7, which we have seen over and over and over again. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. You see, that's a hard life to live for most of us. God is telling us, just wake up and enjoy the day. Enjoy your breakfast, enjoy your family, and don't worry about all the other stuff. That's a simple, simple thing to say. but It is extremely difficult to put into practice. And I think the... the more that we trust in the Lord, the easier this becomes, right? This is a command from God. The more we say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what later today brings. I don't know what five years from now brings. So I'm going to enjoy my meal. I'm going to enjoy my family. I'm going to enjoy my day. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do what I can, right, to, to follow the Lord. And if he gives me tomorrow, great, then I'll do the same thing tomorrow. only when we lose sight of this that we hold tightly to those possessions. So I encourage you, let wisdom inform you about the small things that you do know, right? The one thing that you do know is that you're going to die. So don't forget that. The thing that we do know to be true and certain, we don't want to think about. And the things that are uncertain to us are the things we think about. All the time, we're just always constantly worried about the things that we have absolutely no control over. and we have no idea how it's going to turn out. The one thing we do know, we don't like to think about it. We're just, our brains are just broken, right? I mean, we, we think about things the opposite way that we should. And Solomon tells us, look, eat, drink, and be merry. But this is, this is what your vain life is about, right? And once again, I think we should revisit that word because that word, we don't use it much. And the way that I think we understand it is not the way that Solomon is understanding. He's not saying it's worthless, a lot of times when we hear the word vain, that's what we think of either worthless or, or I don't. He's just saying, look, it's it's a it's a, a mist that you're trying to grab a hold to. Right. That's what James tells us. When with that part, part we read out of James, your life is a mist. It's not that it's not there. It's not that it doesn't have meaning. It's just that we try and grab it and collect it. And it just Where'd it go? Disappeared. This day is vain. Right. It's a mist. So enjoy it for what it is. Don't try and grab it and hold it and control it and bottle it up and say I'm I'm the one in control of this day. You're, you're not. We fool ourselves when we think this way. And then at the end of this section, Solomon tells us, "What is this verse ten? For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which we are all going." And I thought this worth exploring. I I really tried not to like chase rabbit holes off of the main path that we're walking here. But I think this is a really important thing to understand because this word is really misunderstood. I think a lot of the times, Um, most of the time when we read it, we just think, oh, he's talking about hell. But he says this is where everybody's going right not not everybody is going to hell so what is this word and what is it what does it mean how how do we understand it old testament versus new testament and let me tell you something the understanding of this word will bring about a new level of the gospel that maybe you didn't understand so let's do it together right okay so sheol is a place where all the dead go if you look through solomon right if you look through david if you look through isaiah these guys job talks about it and he is terrified of it David is really scared about the fact that he's going to go there one day. Isaiah says it's full of darkness and dust. And everybody is going there. The Old Testament describes it as basically a holding tank for all of humanity. It's where the Roman Catholic Church got the idea of purgatory. But they sort of took it in the wrong direction, right? Because it's not, it's not that you can go there and earn your way out of heaven... Or earn your way from there into heaven... But it's where everybody, Old Testament especially, sinner and righteous, the one who had faith and the one who didn't, they all went there. Why? Why couldn't Abraham go to heaven? No Jesus, right? No, no payment for his sin. Even though he made sacrifices, and even though Moses and David and Isaiah and all of these guys who talk about it, they made their sacrifices, it didn't work. It wasn't good enough. They couldn't be in God's presence and go. God sends them to Sheol. That is where their soul is and it is waiting. You ever wonder what's going on in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? How many of you thought that that Lazarus is in heaven and the rich man is in hell and somehow they're talking to one another? That's weird, right? But if you understand it for what it is, that they have because Jesus has not died, the rich man and Lazarus and Abraham, which is where Lazarus is, right? He's comforted in the bosom of Abraham. If they're all in Sheol, this holding tank, and the Jewish understanding is that there's a good side and a bad side, right? The the man who had faith would go to a different part than the man who didn't. And so they're there and they can communicate with one another, and here's where it gets really, really good. You see, Jesus comes to earth and he dies. And where does everybody go? Jesus descends into Sheol, right? His soul goes down in there. But instead of being trapped, what does he do? He grabs Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon and all of the men of the Old Testament who had faith, and he said, we're finally getting out of here. And he kicks the gate down, and he takes them all with him into heaven. You see, if we read this word and we don't understand what is going on here, you're missing a part of the gospel. And that not only did Jesus die for us and that we get to go to heaven, but he died for all of those men who lived before him, who had faith, but their sacrifice wasn't enough busts those gates down and he takes them all and he grabs them and he takes them into heaven that's a rabbit worth chasing i think right so solomon points out this interesting comparison to us right i kind of said all right the one thing that we do know is certain that we are going to die we ignore And the things that are uncertain, are those are the things that we try to control. Those are the things that we want to try and make certain. And he tells us, right, the race doesn't always go to the swift. The battle doesn't always go to the strong. And it's really funny because we like to see the unexpected as long as it's not happening to us. How many of you are looking forward to watching the Super Bowl later today and how many of you would be excited if, I, I don't watch football, but like w- w- the Chiefs, right? If they go up 21 to nothing first quarter and then it's three downs, punt, three downs, punt for the rest of the game. And the very expected were to happen for the, how, n- nobody likes that. I mean, the number of people who watch March Madness versus the number of people who watch college basketball the rest of the year, it's got to be like 10,000 times more people watch that tournament. Why? Would it be fun if the number one seed won every game all the way down to the end and the, the, the best team wins? People watch that tournament because they want to see the upset. They want to see some no-name college from somewhere, you know, beat the pants off of UNC or off of Duke or, you know, one of the, the top brands, right? Kentucky loses to the backwater people of South Louisiana. Like, what? I mean, that's, that's why people watch it, right? That's what most people watch it. One sport that I do love is boxing. So, if you know anything about boxing, you probably know there's this guy. He's from England. His name is Anthony Joshua, and this is probably the biggest upset of anything I've seen in my watching of sports ever. This dude, if you kn- if you don't know who he is, he's like six foot six. He, I mean, his his like his biceps are like as big as my thigh. I mean, he is just as strong as anybody has ever been. He is huge. Zero percent body fat. He is like the perfect athlete. He won all the golds in in boxing in the Olympics, like in 2014. At the point that he's going to go into this fight, he is in the best shape that he's ever been in. He has two heavyweight titles, and he's supposed to fight this other dude who's another big heavyweight boxer. And the guy fails his drug test. And so at the last minute, they've got to find a replacement for him. And all the other big names and all the other big heavyweight guys are already contracted to do all these other fights. And they're like desperate. Who can we find? We've, We've booked the arena. Millions and millions of dollars have been invested. And they find this short little fat guy, right? He's a heavyweight boxer. Nobody's ever heard of him. He's like five. 10 I think his reach is half of I mean if you know anything about boxing like a reach is is extremely important the longer your arms are the farther away from you you can be from the guy and still hit him and they bring this little short fat guy in there and they're like well this is all we got I mean what are what are we gonna do and if you've never seen this fight his name is Andy Ruiz you should go watch it in the third round Anthony Joshua knocks him down twice if you know anything about boxing if you get knocked down three times in one round game over right the 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 match is called And Anthony Joshua, this big i mean specimen of human strength, knocks him down two different times. And he gets up, and Anthony Joshua hits him right, I mean, and and Andy Ruiz, the little guy, he hits him right in the temple, and it's over. And this short little fat guy beats the strongest, biggest boxer you would ever see. And it's one of the greatest fights, and it's probably one of the most watched fights of the last decade. Why? Because it's the underdog destroys, it's the David beats Goliath. Now, if you know anything about boxing, there's always a rematch, and it was boring. Anthony Joshua knew. He, like, he just comes in, pop, 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 and hits him and beats him, and it's, oh, man, it's boring, right? The first fight was amazing because the strongest one is not the one who won. The unexpected happened, right? And, that's, and I watched it, and I loved every minute. It was so great. And then the moment that the unexpected happens in my own life, it's not quite so entertaining. Right? It's not quite so exciting, I think, wait a minute, what? I was hoping that this was going to go a certain way, and now it's gone something completely different. We count on things going the way that we plan them to. We even expect things to go the way that we plan them to. And yet, when we least expect it, we're like what Solomon says, we're the fish caught in the net, we're the bird caught in the snare. We don't expect that when we're building a house, things are going to get delayed. Even though everyone we've ever known, when they build their house, things go wrong. Things cost more money than they thought they were going to. Things get delayed. When your car breaks down, you think, what? You're surprised and shocked, even though every car that's ever been made in all of human history has broken. But you think, this is my car. I'm, this, I'm the one driving it. How dare it break down? And we, we are shocked by things that we should expect. And we don't. It's no wonder the world is willing to believe what it believes. How many of you people, how many know people who are willing to say, you know what, if there is a God, he'll probably let me in. Because I'm a good person. I don't do whatever they, you know, they'll list off three things that, Barely anybody does, right? Rob banks and cheat on my wife and kill people, right? I don't know. That's usually what I hear. Like, I don't do those things. I love my family. I take care of them. I'm there, you know, whatever. They, they just list off all of their accomplishments, and they say, and they're putting their faith in something that is completely uncertain, their own goodness, and they, they're willing and okay to do that. They're okay to trust their eternity. Yeah, I've been a pretty good guy. I only, I only yell at the dog once a week, not every day, like my neighbor does. So God's probably going to let me. I mean, it, it's, it's insanity. Not only because we're not good people, but because the alternative is that there is a certainty. You see, there's a lot of uncertainty in this world, but there are things that we can count on. There are things that are rock solid. And that's God's promises to us. And God has told us over and over and over again... If you believe on Jesus, you will be saved. If you repent of your sins, you will be saved. No matter what else happens in your life, that will never change. That will never waver. If you are trusting in Christ, you will be saved. No matter how good or life you think your bad or how good or bad you think your life is, that is rock solid. Solomon tells us that wisdom is better than might. Ladies and gentlemen, trust in the wisdom of God. That's what that dichotomy is, right? The person who says, I'm just going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in my own strength, my own works. That's not trusting in wisdom. That's trusting in might. That's trusting in your own strength. We need to trust in the wisdom of God and not in our own strength. Last thing I want to say, and I think it's really important to say this because once again, we can read this book and we can read this chapter and just think like, okay, so if I'm, you know, if God is just calling me, like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen later today. Maybe I should just never, ever make a plan ever again. Right. I'm just going to live moment to moment. And it can be tempting to do nothing. Right? It can tempt- be tempting to, to simply do what we saw in verse 7. Oh, that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to eat and drink and enjoy the day nothing else solomon also tells us in lots of wisdoms and proverbs about making plans right about investing our money about saving our money for the future and so the idea is it's solomon is not telling you to do nothing to never make a plan to never look towards your future he's simply saying make your plans And if and when they don't go the way you thought they would, don't get mad. Don't blame God. Don't say that He is mean for not doing things, for not carrying things out the way you expected Him to, or the way you expected things to go. It would be like turning a down, turning down a raise at work, right? You're you're working, and they're just like, "Hey, we're just going to give you a ten percent raise." And you say, "Oh no, nope. Money cannot make me happy. It cannot fulfill me. I do not want your money. No, thank you." If we use money correctly, it is a tool, it's a blessing in our life, it's not, it is not an ultimate evil. It can be, if you put your hope in it, but it can be a good thing. In the same way that our possessions can be a blessing as long as we don't hope in them, We can make plans for our lives. We can make plans for our futures, for the lives of our children, for the futures of our children. Save money for them to go to college if you think that that's what they're going to want to do, right? That's not a bad thing. But just hold all of that very loosely. Because your life and the life of your children and the life of your family, we're not promised that. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So we make our plans, but we don't expect the future to go in a certain way. We famously model what we read out of James and what Jesus says in the garden, right? Not my will, but yours be done. If you keep that in front of you on every plan that you make, if you say, you know what? I'm going to plan to go on vacation in six months from now. But God, you know, if you strike me dead tomorrow, you want to burn everything down. You want to burn down my whole life. That's okay. But in my limited scope and in my limited knowledge, I'm going to make this plan. And if you want to change it, and if you don't want to allow that thing to happen, great. But if you'll let me, if you'll let that happen, if you'll let that go through, that's what I want to do. Like, so Solomon tells us, right, go. This is an action, right? We love, we love in, in Matthew 28, right? We talk about that word all the time when we, when we hear the great commission, Go make disciples. He doesn't say, sit at home and make disciples. Sit at home and, and go and save the nations. But he says, go and do it. Solomon gives us the exact same imperative command. Go. Go out into the world. Go do things. Go live your life. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your family. Don't sit idle. Go do things. Go find joy in everything. And even if that thing is not what you wanted. Even if that is not the plan that you expected it was going to be. God says, go anyway. Go live your life. Go enjoy that and find all of your hope and your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word and we are so grateful that you enlighten our minds to what it means. Lord, that you give us understanding or that you give us wisdom in these things. Lord, I ask... That this morning, the challenge for all of us is to let go of control, to trust in you. Lord, my challenge, and I I hope that for each of us, that we can go this week and just remember and ask ourselves regularly, Lord, are you the one that we trust? Lord, help us to trust you more. Deepen our faith, give us stronger understanding of who you are, Lord, that we can hold loosely to our possessions and to our plans. Lord, because when we hold to those things, it doesn't go well for us. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would enable us to do these things. Light a fire in us with the Holy Spirit to to bring about the things that you have commanded, to live a life the way (coughs) that you have commanded us to. We can't do it under our own strength, but in your wisdom, we can. And that's what we ask you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.